Psalms 100 tonight. This is a very short psalm. Let me give you a quick thing about psalms. The psalms are either called psalms or psalters and the, that come from the, the Sepulchre, which is a pre-Christian uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, they were originally referred to it, to string instruments, a lot of them, and when they talked about that, that would be the, the harp and the lyre and the lute, and they were sung. And when you look at some of these and you look at the words, could you imagine singing some of these? Now, how many of you have ever watched the, uh, and I know you probably have, the Ten Commandments? You remember when they're sitting in there and they're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper, which when you look at how they're doing, it's not quite right, but they're singing songs. The way they sung, and that's the way a lot of the psalms were sung. One person would sing and then everybody would repeat. And some of them you'll see Psalms of Ascension. Those were psalms that were sung on the way to the temple as you were making a pilgrimage to, to worship. So they're, they're, they, they have different meanings in there. Now some of the psalms, the traditional title for them in Hebrew was Telamin. And it means praise. So, uh, the, but there's also a lot of the psalms that were entitled Telephot, which means Prayers. So you've got praise and you've got prayer psalms. In fact, one of the first collections of psalms was called the Prayers of David, the son of Jesse. So the psalms we have today took a while to get put together in the way they are. Many of your Bibles, if you notice, has them divided into four different books. In, in the Old Testament, books of the Psalms. And some of them were, and there were other Psalms too that were not added to the canon as, as it became known. What we have is what was finally in the Old Greek test, the, like I said, the Sepulchre. That's where we got our book of the Psalms when they finally got them put together. So it, the, the, the collections and dates for them are, are different. Uh, Jesus referred to them in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, as the writings. He said, and he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So he, he considered them the writings. Uh, they, they didn't have, in Jesus' time, there wasn't really a, the, the, the whole book that we have here. It came later. So we, we have that. But as you get into it, we, we get into, the, the, there's a chapter, a group of them here of Psalm 100. And with, around it, this psalm itself is a little different of the psalms that it has in there. Let me get to the, the page of it. It's entitled basically uh, with a simple title. It's called a Psalm of Praise. Uh, you know, uh, some Bibles will start off the serve the Lord with gladness, a Psalm of Praise. It's the only Psalm in this area right in here that has this title. If you look at all the ones around it, some of them don't have a title. Some of them say the Psalm of David, but this one's the only one with that simple little little title of a psalm of praise and it speaks of an invitation for the whole earth to to worship God. Uh, Campbell Morgan said it is jubilant with the confidence of the whole earth as it contemplates the glory of that of earth when all of its people are submitted to the reign of Jehovah. So we're going to look at it and, and when it talks about praise, the word praise in, in Hebrew was todah 
and it means this. It has different meanings, and for 18 times in the in the Bible, it means thanksgiving. So you can say this is a psalm of thanksgiving, but it's also used six times where toted for praise. It's used three times for the word thanks, and three times for the word thank offering, but twice the same word is used for confession. So now you see that the Hebrew words can mean a lot of different things, but it was in the context of how they were used is how you figure out what they were. So here we, we realize that it means um, it, it's a psalm of praise or and thanksgiving, the, the two first ones. So it starts off in verse 1. It says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. How many times have you heard me talk about making a joyful noise unto the, the lands? So it, 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 the first part of it you say is the what and the why of giving praise. And, and he says, what you, first thing, what do you do is you praise God. Make a joyful noise. And that the word make a joyful noise, unlike in the different psalms that are previous before this, it doesn't begin with a declaration of God's sovereignty. Most of them talk about how God is sovereign before it gets into talking about praising them or it and talks about God's character. It begins with a, a simple exhortation to, to praise God. So this one starts off different than the rest of them. And it says to make a joyful noise. Now, what I like about that word noise, the Hebrew word is ruah. And it means this. It means shout, or it does mean noise. It could mean alarm, or cry, or it has the one of the titles that said was just miscellaneous, depending on how it was used. So basically, listen to what it's telling you to do. Make a joyful either shout or noise. It doesn't say make a, a, a wonderful sound of singing, does it? So that I like that because that gives me hope. Amen. Make a joyful noise or make a joyful shout. Could you imagine if on Sunday morning we're all sitting here and somebody walks in and all of a sudden we just all start shouting and saying amen or something. Just I think it would scare the daylights out of some people. You ever been in a service when all of a sudden somebody behind you just shouts out amen? I, I remember one time I was almost asleep at a church. And, and, and I, I mean, I was just about, and the person, I don't know if they did that to wake me up or what it was. It scared the daylights out of me. Left you, I paid attention the rest of the service. So when we make a joyful noise or you make that joyful shout, you know, it, it's a, it, 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 it was originally intended to make a, a, a gladful shout. You know, the, as loyal subjects do when, when their king appears among them. So you think when, when the conquering king or the, the king would come, the, the people would make a joyful shout. Think about when Jesus entered into to Jerusalem on, on the, the, his final week. Was it, talk, it talks about how everybody started shouting. They started shouting hallelujah. And remember what Jesus said, if, if the people were quiet, then what would happen? He said the rocks would cry out. So that when the king comes, we ought to be joyfully making noise. It's a command to us to do that. So we should not be quiet as being a child of God. You think about we are to make racket, as you could basically say here. And it should be as because we're happy because God's presence is with us. Spurgeon said this, he says, Our happy God should be worshipped by happy people. 
a cheerful spirit in keeping with his nature, his acts, and the gratitude which we should cherish for his mercies. If you think about why should we make a joyful noise, think about what God does for you. Think about how he, he, is, he is got us through an awful lot. You, you, you see how blessed we, we really are uh, during this pandemic. We have not really had nobody. We've had sicknesses, but we were having those before, correct? We do have people who are still struggling with illnesses. But I'm thankful that, that this virus did not really affect our church. We didn't have a, a wide scale as predicted was that we should. So we ought to be thankful for that. That's one thing to be thankful. Uh, Kinder said this. He said the joyful noise is the equivalent in worship to the homage shout or fanfare to a king. And so all of them kind of to tell us that. But what gets me, he, he doesn't say the church make a joyful noise. Who does he command to do it in that first verse? He says all the lands. So think about this. Now, the, the Jewish people were, they were very... Uh, I guess that's where it works prejudice. You gotta remember, to them, you had Jews and you had Gentiles. And a good Jew did not talk to the Gentiles. So here's a psalm that says, make a joyful noise, all ye lands. And the word lands here is, as it says, everywhere. So it's not just one person, and it, it's not just the Jewish people. It was for everybody to make a joyful noise. Now, the idea for a lot of, uh, of, of Jews at that time, especially Jesus' time, to make a joyful noise, they didn't think that the Gentiles could be saved. If you remember uh, in the book of Acts, how that was one of their big debates. Could the Jewish people, in, or could the Gentile people even get saved? Because they were God's chosen people. So they looked at it, we're God's chosen people. The rest of y'all ain't. But the Bible, even in the Old Testament, we see here, talks about more than just the Jewish people. So he's telling everybody to praise, which ought to give us, gave hope to the Gentiles. And you, you think about, remember the, 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 woman that came to Jesus because her daughter was sick, but she was a Gentile. And Jesus said, you know, the, 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 he was there to, for the, the children of Israel, and, and basically she says, well, don't even the dogs eat from the crumbs of the table. Do you think? It's been there the whole time. God, the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the what? He has a chosen people. But it's not like, okay, I've got this group and I hate everybody else. God loves everyone. And his desire is for everyone to make a joyful noise. Now the Bible tells us that one day everybody will. Everybody, the Bible says that at one, one day, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. So even those who don't believe in God, even those who reject God, will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to happen. You know, 
And so we, we see it. So it, 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 it's, a pre, it's here to tell us early, make a joyful noise, all ye lands. Now then, he gets to the next verse. And he, he tells them, okay, first you, you're to make a joyful noise, but then you're to do something too. He says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with what? Singing. So I like how God did this. First make a joyful noise. If you could do that, hey, you can sing. Right? He didn't say it's got to be good. He just said, come before his presence with singing. And, and if you think about it, you're coming as you're coming to a king who is your king, so you're praising him. And so it's just one more step to start singing praises to him. But you, you start, it says, the whole earth is invited to serve him. The psalmist likely had his mind, basically, I think, like a worship service. You know, come and do that. You know, and you're to do it with gladness. How many of you ever come to church and you're not glad? You ever come and say, I just... Dare you, God, to bless me? You know, I mean, we all have done that. You come in, you're in a bad. How many of you ever come in in a bad mood? How many of you got up on a Sunday morning and the trip to church? You and your your, your sweetie pie are. Isn't it amazing? I always like the story. There's a, a husband and wife, and they're they're just and the kids are in the back seat going. And of course, when they they get into the parking lot, all of a sudden it's the kids are getting out going. <laughs> what happened? You know, and we do that. It, it, sometimes it's hard to serve with gladness, but he tells us to do that. Now, the word serve is abod, and it has many different meanings too. 227 times in the Bible, though, it means to serve, but it also means do. So it's an action word. So if you serve, you're doing something. So do something for God. Serve him. It, it means labor. It means worship. And it means work. So it, it is an action thing. So he said, do something. You know, I, I've been there many times where my whole desire is to come sit in a pew and not do nothing. But God says, make a joyful noise and serve the Lord with gladness. Because we're serving because who he is. Now the word gladness is shamach. And it means joy. Or gladness, but it also means mirth. So basically, God's saying mm -hmm. you shouldn't serve just because, well, nobody else is doing it. There should be something in your heart that makes you want to do it. It should be something that makes you happy doing it. And, and if you think about how much, you, you know, God, Jesus said this, Jesus gave a commandment. He said, what, what was the greatest commandment he said you had? He said, love your neighbors as what? as yourself. I wonder why he put it that way first. Because if you love your neighbors as much as you love yourself, you could tell other people about Jesus. Because you, you have a desire to see them get saved. Because you know if you love people, you, you don't want nothing bad to happen to them. And so we know what the, the wages of sin is. And we know what the Bible says we should, so we should serve. You know, and, and basically it's, it's directed at anything that you do for God. Because he says serve who? The Lord with gladness. It's not serve the church. It's not serve the pastor. It's serve the Lord. The reason behind our service is God. And so he says to, to do it that way. And now it, Clark said this. I like what he said. He said, it is your privilege and duty to be happy in religious worship. The religion of a 
of the true God is intended to remove human misery to make and to make mankind happy. He whom the religion of Christ has not made happy does not understand that religion or does not make proper use of it. And you think about it, when you come, you should be happy to do it. When it, it ought to be uplifting to be in the presence of God. Now, the only other difference that would be uplifting is when you're under what? Conviction. Then, the only reason you're under conviction is because the Holy Spirit's telling you there's something you need to take care of. Now, I've gone to church, I've even gone to church and left miserable because the Holy Spirit dealt with you and you didn't do nothing about it. But the scariest thing in the world is to get up out of your pew and go to the altar. First, we start thinking, what will everybody think? Me, have you ever thought that? What will everybody think? Oh, I've done something wrong. Well, they probably already think they did. Yeah, yeah, you think about it. I mean, you know, uh, we we came to church. Why did we come? You know, you did something wrong. But so it's a it's an idea that we should come and we we should do it with gladness and and it should be something that makes you happy to do. I I realize that there's times that I've served and and I wasn't happy. But the thing about it is, when I'm serving God with all my heart and, and He's first and foremost in my life, I'm happy to do what He wants me to do. I'm joyful about it. It, it, it gives me great peace. If you can't be peaceful and be happy, there's something wrong with you. Amen. And so he tells us to do that. Spurgeon said this. He says, as for the true believer in Jesus, he serves as God because he loves to serve him. He assembles with the great congregation because it is his delight to worship with the Most High. And, and you think about it. The Bible says, Jesus said, where two or more gathered in my name, he'll be in the midst of them. So the more of us that are gathered in his name, think about how more he is in the midst of us. So it ought to, it ought to be something that changes your life. Now, let me get my notes unstuck here. He says, come before his presence with what? With singing. You know, uh, he says, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. And, and so, you know, in many places, like I said, the Psalms, and the praise were expressed in, in song. Singing is not the only way to praise God, but it's the chief way to praise Him. You, you ever wonder why we start the service off with singing? Because it is a way to praise God and to get you ready for God's Word. It ought to help you to, to relax because you're in the presence of the Lord and you should be singing with with all your heart. You know, I, I've told you the, the story of the, the brother we had that, that, man, he couldn't sing, bless his heart, but he loved to do it. I told you how God really got to me about that because he was doing it with all his heart. And, and when I realized that, it really changed my opinion of him. When we sing, we're singing to who? Well, we're not singing to the one standing beside you, the ones in front of you. We're singing to God, so there's a big difference. And, and so it ought to prepare us make us ready for God and, and so the to be able to worship him more now the word singing is this it's rana so he says come before his presence with rana and here's what it means a joyful voice okay a joyful voice I love that because basically what it says it doesn't say a perfect voice does it 
It doesn't even say one that sounds good. It just says one that's joyful. So if you're going to sing, sing out. It don't matter if everybody stops and goes, oh. You know, just sing because it should be a joyful voice there. Uh, it also means uh, triumphing. So it, it is one, and you think about this, you are victorious because of Jesus Christ. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, Paul said this. He says, but thanks be to God, which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're victorious because of Jesus Christ. So we can sing or we can have that joyful voice, that triumphant voice, because we're victorious over sin because of Jesus Christ. He's changed us. He's given us the ability to be different person. We're, we're no longer that old man. We're the new man. Our old person is dead. So you th- think about how wonderful a victory that is. The person you used to be is no longer. And I, 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 I praise God for that. God changed me completely. I, I used to couldn't stand up and speak to people. I didn't like it. So God gave me a whole different outlook on life. And so he, he gives us that. Think of what did he do for you with the victory he gave you when you got saved. You know, maybe he took you out of something horrible and brought you to something great place. Maybe you were one of those who you've been in church your entire life and so your salvation said, well, I don't have this big hellfire and brimstone testimony. But think of this, the joy you have now being a child of God and knowing it and understanding what church is about. You know, I, I think about, I know some people have been in church their entire life, but they're not joyous because they really don't know Jesus. I, I remember when I was youth minister, there was a, a, a one of our deacons, and man, he was in his 90s. His wife was 93 years old, and she got saved. Said that she had been in church the whole time they had been married. She had taught Sunday school and everything. She said, but I never really was happy doing it. I did it because he was a deacon. She said, and I'll never forget when she got saved. She said, boy, after that, she smiled everywhere she went. She was happy at all times. She says, I now understand what it means to be joyous because I know who Jesus is. I knew about him. I knew everything there was to know about him, but he was not personal. So when that, that's something to make you joyful. But So now let's look at why do it. Why why serve the Lord? Why make this joyful noise? Because he says in verse 3, he says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that made us, not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So know that the Lord, he is God. Praise that comes from God, from his people, and all the land should be mindful. It it, it should be, we should understand who we're praising. We ought to know who God is. He, he's not this who, who you know, just, he's, he's not a magic genie who you rub a lamp and ask for something. He is, he is God. He is the one who creates. I like how he goes from to remind us who he is. He says, it is he that made us. And you, you think about, I, I was listening the other day to, to I love watching documentaries. Julie calls me weird, but I just love doing it. And, and I was watching this one. They were talking about animals, and they were talking about chimpanzees and how many how many genes they share that's so close to us. And and one guy said that it's so wonderful we evolved from them. Like he, it, and I wanted to say, okay, if we evolved from them, why are they still here? 
You know, we didn't evolve. You know, uh, now humans adapt. We're the most adapting creatures there are. We adapt to our surroundings. You don't believe me? Move up north for a while, you'll freeze for a little bit, but after a while, you'll get used to the temperature. <laughs> I, I went, when I went to Yuma, I'll never forget, I was on a plane and I sit beside this lady. She had originally been from New York and she had got ready to retire and she told her kids, I'm leaving. I'm going to Arizona. And they're like, but mom, what about us? She says, it's up to you. You can go with me or you can stay here. <laughs> she said, they all went. She said, that first winter, I'll never forget it, she said. She said, as we got there, here it was, and it was 60 degrees, and everybody was bundled up in coats, and she says, we're wearing flip-flops and shorts, looking at these people. Y'all are crazy. This is hot. She said, the first summer, we like to die. She said, but now, I went home in October and like to froze. She said, I've adapted to where I'm at. She says, ain't God good. <laughs> So we adapt, but we didn't evolve. You know, animals adapt, but they don't turn into a different species. God made us. The Bible tells us, he says, he formed us out of the dirty, breathed life in that. And you, you, you say, how can that be? Just look at, look at us. He gave us a thumb. No other creature can do the things that we can do. You know what? It is an awesome thing when you see what God does. He, he created us in His image. And I like what He says. We are, we are His people. It's not just that He made us. But we're not ourselves. We're, we're His. We're, we're His people. The sheep of His pasture. You know, the sheep of His pasture. And so you think about this psalm here. When He says this. If, he, if we are truly His, his sheep in his pasture, then no wonder Psalms 23 means so much to so many. You know, because it, it, it tells us, you know, it says, you know, think about this. Let me, let me share just a little bit about, we can see the love that the shepherd has for us. You know, a shepherd takes care of his sheep. He watches over them. Psalms 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. There's a relationship right there. He says, I shall not want. And so you think he supplies what we need. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Yeah, I, I don't think sometimes he has to do that too much because that's the rest he gives us. You know, it says, He leadeth me beside the still waters, so he refreshes us. He restoreth my soul. He heals us. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness, so he guides us. It says, For his name's sake. Why does he do it? It's his purpose. It says, yea, that I, that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's testing that we have to go through. It's not always easy. But it's like this. The shepherd allows you to be tested. Why? Because he wants you to grow. But he, he takes care of you. He says, I will fear no evil. So he gives us protection while we're being tested. He says, for thou art with me. That ought to remind us of the faithfulness that he has for his sheep. He says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's discipline. You think, what did the shepherd use his rod and his staff for? To, to grab that old wandering sheep back, and, you know, and knock off the wolves. So sometimes you got to knock the sheep upside the head. So that, that, that's discipline. 
He says, Thou preparest a table in the presence of mine enemies. That's hope. No matter what's going on, God's got us. And he said this, Thou anointest my head with oil. That's consecration. He, he, takes, he, he, he pours himself out on us. And then the last, I won't share without that, My cup runneth over. That's abundance. We serve a shepherd who gives us more than we need. So we, we, we can understand what it means to be the sheep of his pastor. Right. Now let me get to the next verse. It says, the, the, why, the what and the why we should give thanks. We know the reason. Now he says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So we're to enter into his gates. Now the psalmist's picture is that, that these people from all these lands are coming into the gates. And, you know, it, so if we think about this, uh, the Bible tells us that we're going to go to where? When you, when you die here, if you're a child of God, to be absent with the body is to be what? Presence with the Lord. Where is Jesus Christ at the moment? He's on the right side of the Father in the, in the, the center of heaven. So we get to enter into heaven. You know, you got the, the, the ones who, who give you the idea, no, we get there, we stand out in front of the gates. No, it says we enter into the gates. We go into his courts of the temple. You know, as we approach God, we do it with thanksgiving. The word gates is shahar, and it means the city gates or, or door. And so here you, you, you see where you're going into it. So, so think about this. In the Bible, we see that the gates are important. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do to them? He, he cast them out of Eden and he shut it so that they couldn't return. Remember, he put, a, he put a cherubim right there at the gate so that they could not go back. So gates are there. Now we know in the book of Revelation, it talks about the different gates that will be in heaven. So there's different ones. So we see that gates are important. So he says, you come into those gates and you came into them. Why? So you can be in his presence. But think about this. So the good thing about this, we can go into these gates. How? He, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 16 tells us, he says, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time and find grace to help in the time of need. So we can boldly go into the, the throne. We don't have to, to beg for permission. You think earthly kings, you had to ask. You had to hope. You remember in the, in the, in the book of uh, Esther, when she goes to, to, to um, Darius, she's worried that what? If he don't extend the scepter, she's going to die. Well, God says you can boldly, because of the, my son, because of the blood that you've been washed in, because of what he did on the cross, you can boldly come into my presence. You don't got to sneak in. You don't got to beg for permission to come in. You don't have to go through somebody else. You can go straight to the throne of God. So what an awesome thing. He says, enter into his gates. Now, when we do it, he tells us how to do it. He says, with thanksgiving. You know, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. So you're thinking, this is a public kind of worship. 
Clark said this, he said, publicly worship God when we come into his house of prayer. Be thankful that you have such a privilege when you enter to his courts and praise him for the permission to be able to do it. God, thank you for the ability for me to come to you. So I, you, know, you, you think about all other religions, you've got to beg and plead to do this. Majority of the religions, Christianity is the only one that offers what it offers. You think all the rest of them, you got to hope that you've been good enough. If you were a Muslim, there's only one way that you possibly can get in there with no other problem, and that's to die a martyr. Well, our martyr died on the cross. You know, and you think, uh, the, the Buddhists, the Hindus, it's karma. You better hope everything is good. But Christ says, I died for you. I made the way. So we can come thankfully. Boy said this, it teaches there's a special aspect to Thanksgiving that involves the whole people of God together, not just private prayers of the individual, because he's talking here, if we go back to the first verse, to all the people in the land. He says, all y'all come in with thanksgiving. So if you do that, basically it's a communal worship. How many of you ever been to just an awesome service somewhere and the place is packed and everybody's praising God? I, I've, I've been to one and uh, the, there was a, they were singing a song, which is one of my favorite songs by Aaron and Jeffrey. It's called a, He Is, and it talks about what Christ is in every book of the Bible. And I remember standing in this group and everybody in the place was singing along with it. Man, it was awesome. It just, still to this day, it, it sends goosebumps up my, my spine just thinking about it. And you could feel the presence of God. When we're together, we're worshiping, and, and God, the Spirit's there, it is an awesome, awesome thing. Because you could, you could tangibly feel the holy presence of, of the Spirit of God in amongst us. So we're to come into his courts with praise. So, you know, the thanks, but listen, listen to this. It, it says, with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So it's a combination. Not only are you being thankful, but you're praising God because of it. It is a wonderful thing to think. It's not just, well, I'm thanking him or I'm just praising him. No, I'm doing both. So it's a combination. Now he tells us to come into his courts and the, the word courts is Chester, and it means court or the center. And it also means town or villages. So it means coming into the very center. And you think in, in biblical times, the most important part of the city was the center. All the business was conducted there. Everything happened in the center of the city. You went to the courts. You went to the middle to have your business done. Who's in the court now? That's where God's throne is. So everything. Think about John. When John, in the book of Revelation, where is he? He's in the throne room. He gets to see everything in the throne room. He's watching the tribulation from the throne room. What I really think is cool about that whole thing in the book of Revelation is he's standing there amongst the saints. Guess who's there with him? We are. You imagine, hey, there's John. You, we know what he's looking at. We read about it. So we'll get to see it. 
in the courts were crying. God, now God told Moses that no man could look upon his face and what? Live. But by the applied blood of Jesus Christ, we'll be able to boldly go into the throne where God is and see it all. Because we've been washed by the blood. The price for our sin has been paid. Morgan said this. It says, though the, the gates of the city and the, the courts of the sanctuary were thrown, suddenly thrown open, and all the lands were caused to serve Jehovah, to know that he is God, to enter into a relationship with him. So here we see not just coming, but you think about this is the description of an awesome revival throughout the whole land. You know, in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 19, we see that under the new covenant, not only the gates are thrown, but the holies of holies is thrown open. Because it says, it is having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness, the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember in the Old Testament, who could enter into the holy of holies? The high priest. What happened if somebody else did? What happened if the high priest wasn't ready? That's why they tied the rope around his foot, you know. You better be sure that you're sanctified. You better be sure that there's no sin in your life. Because if there is, when you get in there to do the business for the rest of us, you're going to fall over dead. And we're going to have to drag you out and go through it all over again. Can you imagine the next guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think what's so funny is this. In Jesus' time, the high priest in them would still have fear of going into the Holy of Holies, even though the Ark of the Covenant was no longer there. Just being in that presence and that place terrified them because history shows that after they came out, they threw a huge party of celebration because they lived. Yeah. Woohoo! We made it another year. And so, but the Bible says here, we'll have the ability to go into that. So that means we can go in as close to God as we possibly can to see Him, to interact with Him. So if you think, think about that, the reason why we can be praiseful and we can be thankful for it. Then let's look at verse 5. He says, The why we do it. He says, For the Lord is what? Good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. So the word good here is toba, and it means good or better or what. It has, it has just numerous meanings. Let me share some with you. Good, better, well, goodness, goodly, best, merry, fair, prosperity, precious, fine. I like that one, precious. Uh, uh, glad. So he said, God, God's all these things. You think about it. God's good. He's better than anything we can have. He, he makes you well when, you, when you're sick. There's goodness all about him. Uh, he, he is a goodly God because there ain't nothing better than him. He's the best there can be. He's merry because he makes us smile. He's awesome. Yeah, that's a good word for him. You know, uh, Boyce said this. He said, the gods of the heathen were not good. They were selfish, capricious. You never could know when they might turn against you and do you harm. Not so our God, the God of the Bible, is and has always been good. So I, I want to share, the, the, the gods of, of the time that this was written, there were three main gods that they served besides God. And one of them was Molech. All right, Molech 
was a biblical name of a Canaanite god, but he was the biggest thing he was associated with was child sacrifice. He had a statue that held out arms like this. They put a fire inside of him and heated up the arms. They laid a baby on the arms and the baby burnt. And supposedly when you did that, you were gonna have good luck, good crops and all that fun stuff. But you had to give. The next one, of course, was Baha'u. And you know, he is the, the, the title and the, the his name actually means owner or Lord. Uh, he was one of their main gods. He was a bull. He was a, uh, a fertility god. The thing about it is, if you didn't do what he wanted, you wouldn't be around long. The other one was Ashur, Azure. And we, if you read in the Bible, they talk about the Azure poles were always up. Uh, I, I've loved, I, I looked this one up, and the, there's some really confused things where people say that was God's wife. I still haven't figured out where they got that from. Uh, but it was a female god of fertility. Want to know why they, the children of Israel kept falling into idolatry? Because these gods, even though they never really gave you nothing, they were sensual gods. They acted upon the lust of man. And that's why people fell for them. But they demanded, they took. All three of these gods demanded human sacrifice. And so when you see this, you understand why God told them sometimes, wipe these people out. Because this is so ingrained in them, they'll never change. So it says his mercy is everlasting. The small psalm ends with God's unending mercy and truth. You know, everlasting means it never stops. And the word mercy here is chatis. And it means mercy or kindness or loving kindness, uh, pity. So God's pity, he, you think about it, he looks upon us with mercy, but he knows who we are. He knew there was no way for us to make it into his presence. Man was created to worship God. You think Adam and God had a relationship. God came and walked with him every day in the garden. But Adam chose to sin and so broke the relationship. And, and we read and you go a little further into the book of Genesis and it says that you know God looked at he repented that he even made me. But that word repented basically means he sighed. It upset him that my creation has abandoned me and gone the way they have. So what did God do? From the beginning, God had a plan to fix it. He sent Jesus. He gave them the law to start with. Because what the law was, was your ability to work your way into heaven. But there's no way to keep the law. There's no way to do what the law says to be good enough to get to heaven. That's what it was there to show us. That no matter how hard you try, you couldn't maintain the law. Because to keep the law, it wasn't I kept it for this week, it was you kept it forever. So it was impossible. So Jesus came and says, well the wages of sin is death. I'm gonna pay the ultimate price. You know how we know that? You go back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, God killed an animal. Let me go hurt. Let me go hurt. 
they sinned, first thing they said is we're naked. What did God do? He killed an animal to clothe them. Somebody had to pay the sign, the price. Christ paid the price. So he, he made the way so that we can do this, so that we can go into his courts with thanksgiving because his mercy has always been there. Spurgeon says, so as long as we're the receivers of mercies, we must give thanks. Because his truth endureth for all. And the word truth here is Emmanuel, and it means faithfulness. God's faithfulness endureth for all generations. He's not just faithful for a little while, it's forever. From the beginning to the end, he wanted man to be with him. He made the way. He says, I've given you what you need. So I'm going to close here. I, I've got like 12 more pages just on this one verse. But we're going to stop here and we're going to get to our, our prayer request. So.